Please pray with me. God before us, God upholding us, God surrounding us, and God within us, we pray that you will settle us from the noise and the demands of life that we might hear your life-giving word through these ancient words. May your spirit stir us and call us to follow Christ. Amen. Katie mentioned we've been preaching through the Gospel of John following the works of a, a scholar, Francis Taylor Gensch, in a book that she wrote, Encounters with Jesus, in which she lifts up those particular people in John's Gospel who are ordinary people just like us who encounter Jesus. And through reading and hearing about their stories, the author of John's Gospel wants us to know this is us encountering Jesus. So when someone sees one of the signs Jesus performs, we too are to see the sign. And as they come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is one with God, we too are to believe that. So it's our encounter with Jesus as we're reading through this Gospel. It's a way in which we learn to abide with God. On the night of Jesus' Last Supper, he gathered his disciples in an upper room to say farewell. And it follows some of the traditional farewell discourse of ancient Greek and uh, Hebrew mythology and Hebrew, Hebrew lessons, in which he gives them some comforting words. He tells them what to do, prays for them, and gives them a command. Often the comforting words of John chapter 4 are read at a memorial service. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I give you a new command, love one another as I have loved you. In my Father's house there are many rooms. My peace I give to you, I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Our gospel lesson for today is following on those words and it's the, the very conclusion of Jesus' farewell discourse before he steps into a garden and walks towards his death. In the conclusion of this farewell address, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for you and me. Now I'll admit John's writing is rather circular, so hold on and listen as I read portions of John chapter 17. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all people to give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will come to believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be completely one. That the world may come to know that you've sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Here ends our reading. I'm going to invite you to come along on a little ride of a memory. I'll admit it's my memory, so you're just going to have to listen. Last year, Saturday, August 22nd, I was out for a walk by myself. I checked the calendar. Yes, I was in the pulpit the next day, so I was probably out walking to clear my head of the sermon and or try to figure out what I was actually going to say. And many of you know I live in Lincoln Park, and living in Lincoln Park, I'm just always drawn towards the lake and the zoo. So I headed out on my walk, and just as I walked through Oz Park on my way, I encountered four or five people 
and they were dressed head to toe in white. They were waiting for the bus, and they were so excited. It was just, you could just feel the energy in them. So it was their spirit that captivated me, and I'll admit it was there completely. All, all five or six of them were dressed completely in white. Not thinking much more, I continued eastward towards the park, and when I actually got to the zoo, I saw another dozen people or so, head to toe, dressed in white. Dresses that they were wearing, you could see that someone went to their closet, and here's a white shirt, and here's a white pair of pants, or here's a white top, and here's a, a white skirt. I know I sound like the fashion police. These were not outfits they put together. But they were dressed completely in white. They were excited. Where's the South Pond? They needed directions. So I pointed them south to where they were looking to go, and I continued on north. And when I rounded the zoo at Fullerton and the lake, I turned and then went into the parking lot where I saw cars and cars and cars of people streaming in, people all dressed in white. And I noticed that they were black and they were white and they were all ethnicities, Caucasian, African-American, Caribbean, Latino. I saw all kinds of folks, primarily young, I'll admit that, primarily young, but all kinds of people, but they were all dressed in white. Finally, as some of them parked and were unloading baskets and tables and chairs from their car, I was able to ask, what is going on? As if I should have known, they replied to me, it's the Chicago Dinner in White. I had no idea. So almost as part of their migration, I fell in amongst them as we walked up the embankment to the South Pond boardwalk. And at the crest of the hill, I looked out and I saw hundreds and hundreds of people dressed all in white, seated at tables with white cloths and candelabras and champagne buckets that lined the entire length of the boardwalk around Cafe Brower and the boardwalk that surrounds the South Pond, for any of you know it. I had never seen anything like this in my life. And the joy and excitement that I noticed in that first group waiting for the bus seemed to have infused this entire crowd and the air was just palpable with excitement and joy because they were having a great time. By the end of the evening, 1,500 people converged on a night which is known as Les Blanc, Les Din no, Les Dinner en Blanc Chicago. My French is terrible. Les Dinner en Blanc Chicago. Chicago Dinner in White is what they kept calling it. Last year, 7,000 people gathered in Paris at Place Vendôme, as well as in Stockholm and Mumbai and Shanghai. Worldwide, there are 77 cities that host an annual Dinner in White. You see, it's the dinner's simplicity that makes it so beautiful. Through referrals, someone who attended the prior year invites you. And when you register, when you register, all you know is the day that the dinner is going to be held in that particular city, not the location. It could be anywhere in Chicago, and that's part of the suspense. You don't know where you're going to go. If it's your neighborhood or way across town, you don't know how you're going to get there. You have no idea who's going to be there. And the only rules are that you have to wear white, you bring white chairs and white tablecloth, and you bring your own food. Pretty simple. On the day of the dinner, two hours before it begins, the location is revealed, and that's when masses of people start across the city for their journey. And when they're arrived, they're seated next to anybody and everybody. You're seated with anybody and everybody. Gathering diverse people, yet united as one, 
infused with the spirit, not worried about who attends, who's included, who's excluded, just invite more and more and more, encountering people that you may never have met otherwise and could never know, and just stepping into an adventure. That's what Jesus prayed for when he prayed for us on the night of his Last Supper. That's the kind of fellowship and unity that God wants for us in Christ. You see, God is eminently social. God spoke the world into being. God breathed life into humankind. And God is revealed through nature and Mother Nature. And thank you for the witness that we just received. You said it perfectly. God spoke to prophets of old, and God became Jesus to walk across the soil of this earth and into our daily lives. God loves the world God created, and God sent a beloved son to be with us no matter who we are or what we do. This social, gregarious, and loving God has pursued us well before we were ever born. In John's Gospel, as with other Gospels, Jesus collects a disparate group of followers from humble fishermen to tax collectors without a screening interview or an aptitude test to know if they would be team players or get along with one another. It didn't matter. They just were called exactly who they were. And they followed. They became disciples. They watched the signs Jesus performed, revealing God's love through healing physically, through feeding those who hungered, and forgiving sins with reckless grace. All things we humans can do, but we sometimes find excuses to avoid. Jesus also performed signs no human could ever do, but always doing so to point to God. God's love raging through Jesus captivated everyone along the way, opening up new life and possibilities. In John's Gospel, the only time Jesus teaches his disciples is on the night of his Last Supper. Unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where there are expectations to turn the other cheek and to give to the poor, or lengthy sermons on blessings and woes, there's none of that in John's Gospel. When Jesus gathered them together for a final meal, he gives them one command and one command only. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, to state the obvious, there are two sides to this command. The disciples are to receive love, and they are to love. And they, like us, have trouble with both of them. Perhaps our difficulty with the first, receiving love, belies our desire to always reciprocate so that we're on level ground with everybody else. Most of us are uncomfortable at the idea of being indebted to anyone. We tend to be suspicious of the gift of unconditional love. In our hearts, such love is difficult to accept because we didn't earn it. It's more logical instead to earn a love by abiding in established rules and behaving in an acceptable manner. If we instill order in our lives, we can be in control and not God. We invented religion and not Jesus. Yes, we rely upon religion to teach us about God and to develop practices to be together to care for one another, to tell the stories through sacraments and through music. Religion is a way for us to draw closer to God, but it's also the way we create a semblance of control. Through the centuries, we've composed doctrines, and we follow an order for worship, and we have expectations for membership and inclusion into fellowship. Sometimes we make things difficult when we get enamored with religion and lose sight of just worshiping God 
and praising God for the gift of life and love. On the other side of Jesus' command, we find giving away love difficult. Those disciples Jesus drew together were a motley crew. James and, G- James and John. James and John bickered in front of Jesus about who would be the greatest. Can you even imagine having that argument? Peter had a hard time, the entire time, grasping Jesus' mission. Thomas doubts, and Judas was an outright betrayer, but yet Jesus loves them all. Now that night, we can be relieved that Jesus didn't command them and us to like each other. That would be far more challenging. Perhaps the best news of Jesus' image of heaven is that there will be many, many, many rooms in that mansion, and we don't have to be with those that really annoy us. Regardless of whether we like someone, though, we are supposed to love them. And this love is not a hallmark card emotion. This love is the biblical sense of caring for the welfare of another. Love accepts who they are for who they are and not who we are. A youth minister once spoke some words of wisdom that have carried me through. I quote, Sometimes the people who need our love the most let us know in the most unlikable of ways. So there are those of us that we sometimes don't like, but we learn to love. There's other ways God's love is revealed. Amidst the devastating flooding in Louisiana last week, anyone with a boat, a canoe, or a raft struck out with the goal to rescue a neighbor, and a neighbor was anyone, regardless of where they lived. Without fanfare or formality, the Cajun Navy, born during Hurricane Katrina, sprung to service again, rescuing people. Truckers who were stranded on the highways opened up the back of their trailers to serve the produce to other travelers who were hungry. And in the sweltering heat, some truckers also let moms and kids rest in their air-conditioned cabs rather than suffer in heat. There were no likability tests or concerns for social status. In disaster, when the rules are abandoned, sometimes that's when the better side of our human nature takes over and love just flows through. God's love infused Jesus in the words that he spoke and the grace that he offered and the signs that he did. Jesus loved the disciples fearlessly and relentlessly because it was God's love that flowed through him. Jesus prays, don't break the chain. He prays, just keep the course and let the world know that love is stronger than hate. If you keep doing this with more and more, then the links of the chain remain alive These are all the conduits for God's love. You and I began to encounter Jesus on the night of his last supper when he prayed for those disciples and us. Jesus' prayer was answered then. Those disciples did what he commanded. They told the story of his love by loving each other and drawing new people into this community. Receiving and giving love united them to one another through Christ and to God. Despite their differences and dislikes, they loved, and then the next generation and the next generation obeyed by loving as Jesus commanded until we received the same welcoming love in our own baptism. It was a love made known in Jesus carried by each of these unlikely and probably unlikable men that has existed and transformed our world. So now it's up to us. What shall we do? It begins by shedding our egos 
and all the trappings of protection that we've created, and when we stop struggling to rationalize the idea that the good news is that we are loved. We are loved. To obey Jesus' command begins when we realize the God who created us chases after us and loves us unconditionally, and then all we have to do is give it away. If we have a hard time grasping the Gospel of John's circular writing, just imagine a banquet. Just imagine a banquet in which all are invited and all are united. Le dinner en blanc was an infectious idea that probably began as a simple table for eight. Remember, God is a gregarious social butterfly. God wants this story told. So take the risk. Let your life tell the story. Let your life tell the world of God's love. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, one day you prayed for us. Now hear our prayer to you. You were so adept in creating community and sharing God's love in loving each of us. Give us the courage to carry on. Inspire us to be bold in sharing this love with what we do and with all that we meet. In this silence, stir an idea where we can do just as you once prayed. Dear Jesus, may it be so. Amen.